Hi, I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And we're your hosts of Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. We explore and process our experiences with sex, dating, survival, self-worth, and everything in between. We also invite guests to talk about their own experiences, too. Some recent ones include Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast, Ki Kwan... Bowen Yang, and the list goes on and on. Feeling Asian has had a pretty exciting year so far after being named a top podcast of 2021 by CNN and being featured on Apple and Spotify's homepages. We hope the podcast is creating a compassionate space for Asians, Asian Americans, and Asians in America to be themselves without feeling as if their time is a fleeting moment. Tune into Feeling Asian every Wednesday for new episodes. What's up, y'all? I'm Amanda Seals, and listen, I get it. We're in some serious times, so I think some of y'all forgot I'm a comic. She had them jokes. I mean, you forgot I had a whole HBO comedy special. I you forgot I showed love to how black women give compliments. Okay, polka dots. And threw shade to how white women move in corporate America. Stop CCing all these unnecessary people on these goddamn I get it. We've been cooped up for a long time. That's why the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again Comedy Tour is coming to a city near you. Go to amandaseals.com today and get your tickets so we can laugh and learn our way through this madness together. How black am I going to have to get? Starbanks Avenue, a podcast network. It's 11-11. Quick, let's restore the Melchizedek priesthood. You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just a read our fence. Listen to them talking to Mike. Mormon and the meth head. Mormon and the meth head. Mormon and the meth Well, hello. Oh, and welcome to the introduction to this episode. I wish Jessa was here for it. We tried to do it together, but she's driving right now, and we tried to do something over the phone. It didn't work out, but she says hello. She says that she says hello and that she loves you guys. Now, the reason this episode is getting an introduction is because we are embarrassed by it. This was never supposed to see the light of day, at least uh, that's what Jessa said, but here we are. As some of you know, me and Jessa, we went six weeks without seeing each other this summer. We're at the end of it. We were supposed to see each other this week, but a show got canceled. Our apologies, Albuquerque. We are as sad as you are. We were supposed to be there right now, but the club... uh, (laughs) The club is gone. They're gone, so there's no show if there's... No club. So that brings us to this episode. Back in February, it was Jess's birthday. What's up? We did MDMA. What's up? And then we got really, really political. (laughs) We started recording an episode because we were talkative and it switches to race. And we just got really deep into race in America, which we both think is a very important conversation, a very important thing to discuss all the time. And it's something that we think about a lot. What we didn't love was the sound of two white people talking to each other about the plight 
of black Americans. It didn't seem right. It seemed, a, you know, a little cringy, to be honest. And so we were just going to scrap it. But here we are, you know. So we hope that you don't find us too pretentious or too performative. And please keep in mind that we're high. <laughs> This is just the first hour and change of our conversation. It actually continues, and I'm going to drop uh, more of it, not all of it, but more of it on our Patreon tomorrow. And I get like really amped up by the end. I think I'm chanting, eat the rich. I think I talk in detail about eating the president and what he would taste like. It's it's a fun time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some You people do Molly and like dance or, or cuddle or shit. I overthrow the bourgeoisie. That's what I do when I'm on Molly. I plot their demise. Anyway, I hope that this episode doesn't suck because it was a bitch to edit. <laughs> I hope you can enjoy some of it. And if even if you don't like it, you know, you can let us know. <laughs> It'll be fun to discuss in the comments, I guess. But me and Jessa are almost back together. July 18th through 21st, we're finally going to see each other again in Boise, Idaho. If you're in Idaho, please come out. We had so much fun last year. They're giving us more shows this year because of how well it went last year. And we're really excited to perform again, to see each other again, but also to record again. We have so many good episode ideas that we want to do. Jessa and I have been through a bunch of shit already this summer. We have a lot to talk to you guys about, and we're excited about that. So, uh, enjoy this shit. Oh, guys. Oh, it's good to be back on the podcast. Jessa, how are you feeling? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Me too. This podcast is brought to you by Title Boxing Gym in Sugar House and MDMA. <laughs> Did they know neither they were of these be- are official sponsors of the show? <laughs> they are just two things that I particularly enjoy. I am. I have a plan. That well, I have a secret wish that I could probably just make happen if I wasn't such a pussy. But I would just want to be able to go boxing again because I miss it so much and I can't afford it. And uh, I'm like, I could just tell them, like, I'll just advertise your gym on my podcast, and then you guys should just give me free membership. But I'm too. So now your plan is just to do it and then just like char- just send them an invoice. Uh. I don't know what my plan is. I don't plan these things. I'm, I'm hoping I can just manifest it into existence or something. But it is a great gym. With I, and I miss, I I miss so the exercise. There. And that was in the greatest shape of my life when we I was going there. We could go there and do social media posts. Yeah. Of, of just Ethan. I already have so many. I would take Ethan to all my classes there. I don't know if they want me to advertise that. I don't think they really want to run a daycare, but I would just bring my kid to all my classes with me and we just have a fucking blast. Ethan loves it. For some reason, he loves to crawl inside of the lockers. And like, I feel like everyone there is like, what's up with his dad who just can't like get a babysitter that he's locking his son inside of a locker? And I have to be like, he want, he likes it. He likes it in there. He just, but he'll like crawl up to like, the, uh, he'll open up the doors and then like crawl up to the top one, fit inside of it and then just shut it. But like he wants to, 
he'll sit he'll sit in there for a surprisingly long time just by himself Were they closed what? Yeah, with the door closed. He just wow. sits in there with like a little toy or whatever. He loves it. He loves it. But then every now and then he wants some attention. And so he'll just start screaming while I'm punching a bag somewhere <laughs> else. And like there's uh, there's like mu- loud music playing and everyone's punching. And so he's like screaming at the top of his lungs from inside this thing because he wants to play Escape from Prison or something like that. And I think I, I come across, I either come across like as the greatest or the worst dad. I, it depends on what time the person came into the gym. If yeah. they were there when he willingly went into the locker, you're good. But if they, their first experience with Ethan is him screaming it's to me, get out of the locker. Like, you're in jail. Don't get out. You're, I, you're in jail now. You stay in there. But if you stay after class, you see, like, we, like, ch- I chase him around the, the whole room. The, his favorite part is the last part of class where you have to get a medicine ball and you do, like, what do you call it? Core, core yeah. workouts or whatever. And then he refuses to let me use the medicine ball. He wants to be the ball. And I have That's to do so all cute. the exercises with him. And then I just, like, pull my back out. But better to pull my back out doing that than, like, breathing uh, which is how I've been pulling my back out lately ever 30s. since I stopped going to boxing class. I need to just need to get my body back. I need to get it back, Jessa. We've been ex- uh, experiencing weird changes in our body, and I am very nervous that like I'm, al- I'm already getting old, but then Jessa just tells me, like, actually, Aaron, all you're experiencing is just symptoms of ascension and, like, because you are growing so much as a person and you're, uh, you know, you're like beating your ego and stuff. Now your body is just, uh, you have to get a better body to match it. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fucking cool. Uh, yeah. Like every time you do a download of new, like higher dimensional information, then you get kind of like a cold. It feels like, like a, they call it ascension flu when your body is trying to take on all of this new software all of this new programming you feel under the weather and then our bodies are supposed to change like our bodies are supposed to turn into like less dense energy beings and then again do that again like in the future so like the i hope less dense energy beings pull fewer muscles i just i just want to be able to turn around in the car like i used to just be able to like see my son in the car see if he needed something i could just turn around and like hand it to him and now when i turn around i'm like oh oh well that's that's just fucked my whole week up now the rest of the week i'm gonna be icing my back because i needed to uh, unscrew a chocolate milk lid for ethan i saw a thread of like early 20 somethings joking about (laughs) I used to make fun of my parents when they made a noise when they stood up and now every time I stand up I'm like and I was like what you don't know what you're talking about y'all need to drink more water (laughs) Uh, but I do feel like I am my dad I make the same noises what I did just suddenly start making noises when I crouched down and I and Ethan probably wonders why I'm always like oh yeah I think, I guess this shit's been happening to me and I just didn't think to attribute it to age until recently, but, uh, my shoulder did, I get like, I got like a rotator cuff injury doing nothing. Rotating? I was jogging on a, on a treadmill, which is like not not, even outside. And then it just started. Yeah. Cause then when I went to the chiropractor and he was like, yeah, it seems like your rotator cuff is messed up. And I was like, can jogging do that? And he was like. 
It shouldn't. <laughs> With your legs. No. But I, fi- I don't know. I like I fixed a bunch of stuff. My my one big back injury was doing a deadlift while like not paying attention, like spaced out. I and thought just your biggest back injury was from carrying this podcast. What's up, Jessa? You're the boss. That's You're the boss. Good. Do you guys know that it, Jessa? It's already past midnight. <gasps> it's your birthday right Aww. now. It's your birthday right now. Happy birthday, Jessa. Thank you, Jessa. And you have beaten aging, by the way. Oh, thank you're looking, you so much. you're looking great. Thank she you. also cuts her own hair. Did you all know that? Uh, they do if they've seen it. <laughs> no, it looks good though. Does it? It looks very good. Okay. Much better than when you dyed your own hair. That was so bad, and I had just that had just grown out, and all the damage from when I did that because it broke when I did mm-hmm. that as well had just grown out, and I was like, man, my hair finally looks like my hair again. Mm-hmm. How could I ruin that? <laughs> Jessa, tell the baking soda story if it's not too painful. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I got my cry out. <laughs> okay, over. good. Okay, so I'm obsessed with my hair being full. Like I'm obsessed with it being. And so it was very... Full voluminous hair is sexy. My hair was so thick when I was younger that I couldn't use hair ties because I couldn't wrap them around twice. I had to cut the bottoms off of t-shirts. Your hair was thick with two C's. Yeah, my, my hair was uh, thigh thick, and I have lost a ton over the years. I did Atkins so many times that I lost about half of my hair at like 30. Is that why people lose weight on Atkins? It's just all just hair all hair. Weight. Yeah. I didn't know that. I think I thinned. fucked up my thyroid, and then I got pregnant right after, which like re-regulated my thyroid oh. also. Uh, the changes that happen with pregnancy are still are so fascinating to me. Yeah, I knew somebody who had like a a diagnosed thyroid issue. Mine is just hypothesis and got pregnant and it regulated it, which is Uh, just interesting. Tabitha had terrible, let's just call it fibromyalgia pain from a very young age, like just awful body pain all the time. And then pregnancy just totally reversed it, but then gave her migraines. It is. uh, Did she have migraines while she was pregnant? Probably, but like, I mean, I don't, re- I don't really remember. She was bedridden for a while while she was pregnant, but I don't think it was with migraines. Hmm. Those came more and more frequently after childbirth. You have to tell her my trick now that you guys are friends again. I got uh, I'm something tell her called, shit, but yeah, they call it pups. P-U-P-P-S. In pregnancy, it's hives. You just get hives for no reason. And so like the end of my pregnancies, my stomach's just covered in hives. And then after my pregnancy with Lily, now I just get hives. I'm just a person that like I have hives right now, like on my uh, hips Mm. for no reason. Okay. But it, yeah. So my hair fell out from that. Really glad to know that's not herpes. Okay. Yeah. I was worried. Uh, Yeah. Well, if I, yeah, if you, yeah. I don't have hip herpes. Um, just genital ones. Just uh, anyway. Hip herpes. Are <laughs> hip herpes are totally different. I was trying to think of a pups type acronym for uh, hip herpes, but I'm in no condition to make up acronyms. No, right we now. were serious about the MDMA. By the way, <laughs> we were dead, dead fucking serious. I love that's one of the best lines in your vibrator joke. By the way, really? He was dead fucking serious. It gets a good laugh every single time. Thank you. I this like one. all your notes on my comedy, by the way. I'm like that. I, I can. I 
I started out stand-up comedy at Humor U. It was very collaborative. We all gave each other feedback on jokes, and it was a group effort on everything. And then I went out to the real world. I found out everyone hates that. Don't ever tell comics anything. And that was a pretty fast... I learned that lesson pretty fast. Yeah. And I now... I don't give anyone tags ever. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I don't talk to other comics about their jokes or their sets ever. I just, I don't know. It's I think if I like so... you and I respect you as a comic and I, and I feel like you understand me, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause a lot of times people give you tags and it's like, does yeah. that sound like something no, I, would I would say? I would do that. I just don't like or respect anyone uh, in our, in our field, but you <laughs> No, you're just the only person I've ever gotten like close enough to. I don't, right. I feel like you need to work with someone a lot or least I do to feel comfortable enough to know that like I'm not going to offend them because we're right. all very fragile, egotistical, especially when it comes to our jokes and uh, like, we don't always really like people's feedback. And it's also like, what if you give someone a tag and they think it's so dumb and they think you're so dumb. That's my biggest dumb. thing. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. I used to like Aaron, but now I question his sense of humor. But like, I just, Jess and I've been performing together for a year and I am finally starting to feel comfortable and like it's fun and I so I like we perform all the time together so I tons of thoughts come up and it's nice to finally uh, say them I've been like hating all your jokes for 12 months and I haven't <laughs> been able to say anything about it we got onto a plane tonight and you know when you're on the the the, the jetway, is that what they call that big hallway? Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's just quietly waiting to get on the plane, and I was making Jess a laugh so hard, and we were both just cackling, and it's echoing through this jetway, and everyone on this plane is like, "Fuck! I wish that there was a baby on this plane so that I didn't have to hear these people." Yeah, in that moment, I realized that my laugh is not addicting to people who aren't invested. <laughs> Podcast, like, it I was as grating as I think you guys uh, on flight 2386 are aware uh, but Jess's laugh gives life to people and everyone's <laughs> like uh, I wish I was dead uh, <laughs> wish I was hating this it was the laugh where Aaron is roasting the living fuck out of me so it was the my best cackle the it best was, so uh, so he good was getting me so good that I was like curling up you guys love us on the podcast i wonder if you would love us in real life although we were very charming i felt on the dance floor in boise last night i cannot believe how many people came out to the show in boise thank you guys so much we we did we had an amazing weekend in burley and boise and we will be back to both of those places for sure uh, 150 people packed into this bar in Burley. That is 105% of the population in Burley. Like they brought in <laughs> friends from, from neighboring farms and brought them into the the place. And we had, I was kind of scared. I didn't know how, I, th- I thought maybe they were going to hate us. Uh, like it'll be a little too rowdy, a little too wild but they fucking loved us. I'm pretty, I think that is the, I think because I never did clubs. So when I walk in and it's like rowdy, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm good here. Like I know how to handle that. Even though I do more of a low key set now, I still know how to, if I need to Mm -hmm. like pace around and command attention and stuff. And I'm more comfortable with that than a conservative crowd. Yeah. 
probably. My problem with like you, we've talked many times. I don't have a middle ground and I, I go way too hard sometimes. And so like if, if the crowd is rowdy, my thing on stage is I'm very likable and sweet boy. That's my whole shtick on stage. And when I have to switch to being ruthlessly mean to get some, to like, sometimes you have to flex on people to get their, these drunk hillbillies to shut the fuck up and listen and let you, you need to let them know I'm the alpha here. I will eviscerate you. Please keep drinking your bucket of Bud Light and, and let everyone else enjoy the show. And so like, I was, I thought I was going to have to do some of that and it's hard to then go back to being like, and so, then, so I tried weed everyone. Oh, Ooh, a girl kissed my pee pee. <laughs> I did uh, go a little hard on them at one point and loved it. I want to be, I want to try being mean Aaron sometimes. Cause that was really good. Uh, We've talked about this before, but your ability to roast, you are so straight for the throat in the most fantastic way. You would be a great roast comic if you could just roast the other person and then leave. Yeah, because I can't take I can't take a single joke. When Jinx and Alicia, Lady Business, the greatest comics in Boise, they opened for us. They are really great comedians. If you if you guys. Uh, live in Idaho, check out Lady Business, follow them. They are very, very funny. But they just like made a few jokes about my beard, my hair length, the shirt that I was wearing, the sunglasses that I was wearing. They they kind of they 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 quickly went through me and I and I just was like <laughs> and then pulled Jess aside and I was like, hey do, do I look like shit? <laughs> Should I shave before this? Is my hair bad? Should I stop growing it out? Do you have any backup sh- Can I just trade uh, outfits with you? Can I just wear your top? I feel really weird about this. So this is why I'll never do roast battle because I know I, I'll be talking to them for an hour afterwards. I'm like, all right, but seriously, do you not like me? Yeah. I just so interesting. I grew up like know. my dad is like ball buster. And so I just grew up with my he dad is. roasting every, like all of their friends roasting each other. And I was like, oh, this is how people have fun. Tom has such good... Joke the jokes that you share with me that he says. Yeah, you guys look like a number ten. Yeah. Fuck. Oh fuck. So her funny. first husband, real skinny dude, and her first pregnancy, real big pregnancy. And there's a picture of uh, where Tom made him took a take a picture because he was like, "Y'all look like a number 10 Stand next to each other. You look like a number ten. That <laughs> video, that home video, we still have that is so funny. I'm like a month overdue with Nicole walking around teenage mom this is the first time he ever met dustin i was married to dustin before he that's met that's right that's the best part of that story dustin picked him up at the airport and i guess it was kind of awkward they're in the car and dustin ran a stop sign and my dad was like that wasn't even a california stop and dustin goes sorry i couldn't stop and he's like yeah i've that's a problem for you huh or something like you know yeah is couldn't. that how this happened uh-huh. and then he just roasted dustin the whole time which the reason i fell in love with dustin is because the day I met him, he made fun of me for like, he just stood there and made fun of me for like 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. I went home and I was like, I'm going to marry <laughs> the guy with the mullet. <laughs> the mullet guy who roasted me. Anyway, Tom, Tom is really, really great. And I also just found out that he like, he loves me. So now he's my <laughs> favorite person. 
Oh, this will this episode will come out the day after the Oscars, which is the day after our show in Salt Lake City. So hopefully none of our fans care about the Oscars. But here is a a take that no one asked for. The Black Panther. I actually I don't think there's a the in it. It's just Black Panther. But it got nominated for Best Picture. And people are upset about it. Jessa's giving me a look like she has no I idea. I thought that was 2017. That no, was like it came out in February. It came out a year ago, February okay. of 2018. It it stayed number one for over a month. I think it was like six weeks. It was number one at the box office, which hadn't. That's the longest streak since 1997's Titanic. I think. Oh uh, shit! Movies. I, I might that. I don't know. I, I, that might be wrong. I'll tell you what is true. Cardi B is the first female rap artist to have a number one hit since Lauren Hill. Completely unrelated, but these are facts that I at least am sure of. Okay. MDMA is what this podcast is brought to you by. <laughs> uh, anyway, movies don't say number one for that long anymore. Titanic was number one for like four months straight and then and then re-released in theaters almost a year later and like it is, it's crazy. We didn't have a lot of movies back then. I don't know. But the, be, now with the rise of home video which right. was already a thing in 97 like like the movie industry is always complaining about whatever new innovation is supposed to is going to kill it. You know, it's like when HBO came out, that was going to kill it. When VHS came out, that was going to kill it. Netflix. But like it def- Netflix and streaming services have made movies different where like there's not a you're you're rushing to get them out. Like Roma, also nominated for Best Picture, was released in theaters and on Netflix at the same time. And I think we're going to see. Uh, yeah, we're going to see a lot more things like that. But that's perfect for a film like Roma that wasn't ever going to have a huge movie going audience. But could it's a it's a black and white foreign language film. But like, you know, so like on streaming on Netflix can it has a, has a much uh, wider reach, you know. Anyway, Black Panther was huge, but it was just a year ago. It was huge. It got nominated for Best Picture. People uh, are upset about it. People say that it is that we're only elevating it to this status because it's black. That it's a <sighs> it's a th- you know like it's not that good. But we're trying to make it into a bigger deal because Hollywood is liberal. Hollywood is pushing their agenda. Hollywood is pushing diversity. Oh, what a terrible thing to push, by the way. Isn't this uh, the first year that it wasn't all white people everywhere? Well, I mean, Moonlight beat out La La Land. Was that a, a two, a two years ago? One year ago? Whatever that. Anyway, uh, but I mean, like, we are still just a few years removed from Oscars so white. Yeah. And like, I do think that they are. The, the academy is nothing if not reactionary and like they're i mean slowly but whatever like they they are always trying to like correct themselves for past mistakes you know yeah. people are always like how come uh that person didn't win he was robbed then they'll like usually give him the oscar for a shittier role unless you're leonardo uh, dicaprio yeah well like even the revenant isn't leonardo's best role like that's what he w- finally won for, right? Because it was his time to win, and uh, but like it wasn't his best role. It's just the role that he suffered the most for, which I don't really. I think it's cool to suffer for movies. I love reading stories about like he was freezing to death and he really ate a buffalo heart raw, like w- with his you know his own t- teeth and shit. That's cool, <laughs> but uh, he is he has delivered a much better. better yeah, like you know he wasn't even nominated for The Departed. What the 
fuck. He was nominated that year, but for what's it, the Blood Diamond. He was nominated for Blood Diamond, but not for The Departed. I watch The Departed once every year, sometimes twice in a year. It's so rewatchable. And the cast is amazing. So many of them give great performances. And Leonardo outdoes them all. Like Leonardo, with like Jack Nicholson, like chewing up scenery, literally doing this rat thing. Like Jack Nicholson is uh, balls to the wall good in that movie. And Leonardo is still so there's so much vulnerability in that performance so good not even nominated right so like this is a thing with the academy they get it wrong all all the time but like just people need to con the like people that think that they are hip to the scam that hollywood is is going shut up shut up the oscars every year are filled with movies that didn't deserve to be nominated. Like there, every year there are films that are getting snubbed. Every year there are dumb, boring movies that get nominated for Best Picture. You're only talking about this one because it's a black cast. Like, and now suddenly you're like, well, I don't know if people are like that's not even the best superhero movie that came out last year. I agree, it's not. It is the most culturally important. Like everyone went to see Black Panther. It broke all kinds of February box office records and like, you know, like of consecutive weeks. It was a cultural phenomenon. And I think it's good that the Academy recognizes stuff like that. And like if the one nomination, I mean, how, how many movies are they even nominating now? It's, it's like they can nominate up to 10. If one of them is like just a cultural phenomenon that maybe is not the best movie that we saw that year, but like we loved it and it was fun. That's cool. Searching for just the right job. Whether you're looking for full-time part-time or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon jobs offers the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you to get your application started for an hourly job. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. I mean, I don't know what the, uh, if it's just arbitrary or what it's based on, but uh, movies as art. Art is supposed to change society mm-hmm. and have an impact on society. And the thing that bugs me when people talk about it like it's an agenda, uh, I'm high, so I'm going to get on a soapbox here, but they talk about it like it's an agenda. And it's like uh, exposing children to a norm that isn't something that looks different than them. Uh, Is that the agenda that's Mm -hmm. hurting your feelings is making other people feel who live here, uh, whose home this is also, making them feel like this is their home and yeah. this is somewhere that they belong, letting them see themselves be represented on the screen. That's an agenda that is somehow bothering you. And yet they don't understand what privilege means when we talk about they They think, uh, well, like there's yeah. no, that white privilege is made up, but you're like, you're so close to getting it. The fact that you feel weird the first movie you see that there are people that don't look like you. Think about like if you lived your whole life and there weren't many movies with with you in them, you know, it's if you imagine you like like that's what we're talking about when we say privilege is that like you are privileged to like l- see your own story told again and again and again and again. 
you feel you're made to feel important you're made to feel you seen. are uh we are raised to believe that we are the baseline we are what yep. is normal we are what belongs here everything else is an aberration and it's everything else is exactly and how much i thought about the psychological impact of being raised religious and just having the message that you were unworthy of god's love planted into your subconscious as a kid and what how that ripples out into your entire life imagine being a person of color growing up in a country where white is what is normal what is baseline to have people that look like you represented as villains in movies or not represented at all mm-hmm. they're 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 playing stereotypes yeah subtle things like uh makeup when it says nude is it white shades mm, subtle things like yeah. those are like as a child those are things all the superheroes are white all of the heroes in everything are white all the people that are winning everything are white it i i can't wrap my mind around what that feels like to have been raised in all a country where you feel white. like that Exactly. And then how triggered everyone got by our first black president. And I was yeah. so excited because Phoenix was, I was pregnant with Phoenix, mm -hmm. I think. And I was so excited that she was going to be born into a world where. Yeah. And even that people, people believed that like, oh, he wasn't qualified enough to be president and that he basically just, you know, that, and this isn't everyone's opinion, but this opinion was voiced. I feel like my mom thought it, that it was just like, uh, yeah, well, like, you know, he kind of got a sympathy vote. You know, there's like some white guilt. We, uh, thrown them a bone. He's the most, like... <laughs> He spoke in complete sentences. He was he the best. He didn't like get petty and, and, and throw insults at reporters who asked him challenging questions. Like uh, he was so qualified to be president. And like you just said the other day, the one of the main reasons we have Donald Trump in office is like payback for uh, we we had a black guy for too long. Like there there's there are people that are ignoring that still they ignore during the the campaign all these awful things that like should disqualify this man who has n no idea what's happening None. what's going on he's no clue but like people just have this quiet hidden racism inside that they don't really acknowledge and they're just like oh yeah yeah he shoots straight i love him oh he's a good businessman that's why i'm voting for him he's uh, he's gonna i feel like he's gonna really get rid of a lot of our debt because he's such a that's because that's what donald trump is definitely known for is pulling things out of debt uh i think it had to happen that way it was by design as painful as it is to watch all of this racism come to the surface it's another thing I talk about what it must be like to live in a country where you are oppressed by systemic racism and then in the 90s we all talked like racism was over we talked about it like it was something in the distant past like that's what the collective white conscious believed mm -hmm. and then uh, people of color were like forced to go along with this narrative yeah because everyone was doing it privately i guess and it wasn't until we had a black president and then this fucking tool bag that now it's it's 
out front again, you know. One thing I try to keep in mind is our country is so big and we all live in our own little parts of it. And I lived in a part and I just maybe it's my generation in combination with my location and great people that I just happen to be around in a, in a perfect place in PG County. What's up? I mean, I always knew racism existed. I didn't ever think that we were past that, but I did feel like I was surrounded by people who were not racist, that were above it, that judge people by the merits of their character and stuff. And I just kind of thought that's where we all were, you know, and we don't really have lynchings. Oh, we don't have the KKK and there are huge portions of this country where racism is alive and well, like a lot of like parts of this country that are not diverse. We talk a lot about different realities. The 2016 election showed that there were two competing realities in this country. They saw everything completely differently. They saw, they heard, it's like they, they heard the, the grabbing pussy video in a completely different uh, These way. same people are they, talking shit about Andrea, what's her name, Cortez? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, don't mention her. It hurts my heart too much. There's like a video of her doing some cute dance uh, oh, in her she's 20s. So hot. Here's don't me with my it. fresh hot take that was probably all over the news. Uh, oh, I can't think about her dance. But they're like, oh, she's not even classy. And it's like, your dude grabs pussies. Like, what? Yeah. He grabbed pussies and you guys were like, that's, that's, that's locker room talk. Not in a locker room, by the way, he was on a bus, but I guess also I've been on buses before and it's a different kind of language there, but yeah, this girl, this girl is like doing a breakfast club dance and looking fine while doing it. Uh, I, uh, here's the, my problem with her. I just feel like I'm trying not to fall in love with her because she will betray us like all politicians. I feel like it will happen and I don't want to cry on that day. So I'm trying to lock my heart, but it's impossible. So I grew up in Portland and didn't know that racism still existed. I used to believe that was because Portland was so... Inclu- although I grew up in Portland before it was a parody of itself, but <laughs> um, it turns out there wasn't a lot of diversity in Portland, but I didn't know that because I feel like there was diversity in the schools I was going mm-hmm. to, but there wasn't, we all hung out with each other. Like there was no division that I knew of. And then when I was 12, I moved to Delaware and this is my first time really living in Delaware since I was little. And I got to school And the white kids and the black kids sat on different parts of the bus. And I just went back to their part of the bus. And they were like, what are you doing back here? And and my cousin uh, was like, you can't sit back there. And then I came back up to the front and was like, wait, what? And I remember it was very segregated, like uh, compared to anything I had ever seen before. Like they just didn't like each other. And another thing that was interesting to me about Delaware was that everyone knew exactly what their race was. Like mm-hmm. just white people were just white people, I thought, but they all knew if they were Polish or Italian, you know, and they And they just addressed each other by it. Talked about it a lot. A lot. And I was like, I have no idea like my last name was Garcia. 
but I had no idea. I still don't know. That's so like, funny to me. N- neither you or Tom look like Garcias. Yeah, so we are very Irish. I guess I do know now. Ah, the Irish that Garcias. That uh, that'll bleach you out. Mm-hmm. But I remember when the Rodney King verdict came through. Oh. I was living in Delaware, and guy threatened to punch me in the face, and then uh, because of Rodney King. Mm-hmm. What? Just like there was like a plan for a riot in Delaware. I don't know if it ended up happening, but like I was walking down the hall like when he was walking down the hall towards me and then said he was going to punch me in the face or something. And then I was defended by another friend who was black. But I kind of thought it was like the East Coast, but you... I watched so many documentaries about that. And when we hit like the anniversary a little while ago, they had like a bunch on Netflix because I wanted... Because I was too young. I was alive and I was in Southern California, but I, you know... Yeah. I was a baby. So like my parents remember it. And I was fascinated by that. Also, I'll just go on the record as long as you guys you know, just keep it between us. I kind of love the idea of riots. I love it. Lo- I think rioting is a, is a great form of social change and protest. And we should do more of it. When I look at France, I'm like, God, why can't we be more like you? Why want to... We should we should riot more. Uh, I thought the uh, the what was it Baltimore was the yeah. reaction to the ball. I think that should be the reaction. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. I and think it are, should be. Are, or so when I say people, I hope you understand that I mean white people. Uh, I, I wouldn't ever attack everyone, just uh, my race. But when white people are like, oh, I don't, they like don't understand. Like, oh, oh, so destroying uh, property, that's how you're going to get your way? Yeah, that is all America cares about is who owns land and who owns property. You know, unless yes. you're white people and you're tossing cars over a football game. Or, or you are illegally grazing cattle. Uh, have we talked about these guys? The but, uh, Ted, not Ted Bundy, Ammon, what are their name? Ammon and... The, the Mormons? The, the Mormons. The, a lot of people don't know that they're Mormons, but the rancher, Clive Bundy. Clive Bundy. That's his name. He had been grazing his cattle illegally on BLM land, like federally owned land, for his whole life. He's a fucking freeloader. He's a fucking welfare queen. But, like, you believe that that's your right and that's your property and, like, the government can't just tell you to do that. And if they're going to try, we will arm women and children with assault rifles on the on the highway and have a standoff with the FBI and we'll show them what's a what. But then you can't understand oppressed people pushing back like and destroying property like you that you are the ones who are saying doesn't make any sense to me. But they're like, don't don't destroy that target. Don't break that target's glass. Target is fine. Target has uh, eight uh, billion dollars or whatever. They can build. An, uh, they can get a new plate glass window in their Target. Why are you guys taking over wildlife sanctuaries? You cheese dicks they you know they t- they used the title of liberty and like captain moroni and that whole story to pump them up for taking over a bird lookout building Ugh. Ugh. the mdma i think is uh we are we are building taller and taller soap boxes <laughs> the last time the collab and pisces if you guys remember that episode very funny episode we did that on mdma and we thought like we i was starting to get like really funny and talkative and i was like let's get the microphones out let's record so far we have said nothing funny neither of us have laughed we are just like <laughs> getting ready for race wars we're like okay i uh, 
But I mean, I mean, I remember me and Tabitha following Ferguson, and like I this I was getting on Twitter, at staying up, and not going to sleep because like at night Twitter would explode with everything that was happening in, in the protests in Ferguson and stuff. And we read some of the just most hateful, rude, mean comments, comments about his mother and people that just have no compassion for the fact that a kid died. I don't personally care what he was doing before. I don't personally care if he backtalked a police officer. I, I don't care if he stole a dollar twenty-five worth of Doritos. A, whatever, he, like all the stuff that people say he did, none of it warranted being killed. And he was cut down in his prime. His mother will never have her son back. He's gone, and there are no repercussions for. Like these people just have a complete ultimate power. That's why I don't get you want to fight you like you're so mad at the government, the government that's going to infringe on your rights. But then you just support police officers shooting whoever they feel threatened by. No, whatever black people they if you saw the same videos and also the like, well, they shouldn't have resisted. Um, Yes, we should. Uh, We do not just have to do whatever the police tell us. That's a dangerous society you're trying to set up, first of all. Second of all, just because I don't care if you did, I hung out with criminals. Just because a crime has been committed doesn't mean you deserve death, that death is the punishment for that. So all of these arguments are like you just wouldn't react that way if the videos were white suburban kids period um the kids at the pool that were getting thrown down by police officers because white people at the pool were like i don't think these kids go here even though they'd been invited to this yeah. pool. this was in dallas or houston or something i think it's in texas if, if those... a video came out of white kids getting thrown around by cops society would lose their minds but because it is black kids And all we've had pumped into our head is TV shows and movies portraying people that maybe we're not exposed to Mm -hmm. in life. We've been we've seen them portrayed as this or we see them and we're like, well, then they shouldn't have been at that pool. Well, they shouldn't be talking back to cops. Were you never a teenager? Have you never met a teenager? Also, they were somewhere that they were allowed to be. Mm-hmm. So they got mouthy with the cops because teenagers are mouthy. But also, no, you're not allowed to throw my teenager around because yeah. they ran their fucking mouth. You need to control your goddamn temper. Mm-hmm. All of these, this is what I think it is. And I, and I think I said this on that other podcast, is what it feels like is it's when you're in an argument with your significant other and you realize that you're wrong, but you don't want to say that. Okay. That tension and that anxiety that builds up. Let me think back if I could think. Uh, <laughs> I swear a, I used this example. A few hours ago <laughs> when this happened to me. Yes. Um, I remember. I eventually said that I was wrong. But Jessa had to like, Jessa was really great. She like apologized first, even though she had nothing to apologize for. And then I like softened up and was like, all right, yeah, that was all me. We've definitely real. taken turns doing that for each other, but we're uh, so great. We are really good for each other. A lot of people can't say that they're wrong, and a lot of people need to be right in a fight and cannot ever just say. That's one of my favorite things about you, is that you can just take your hands off the wheel and be like, "Whoa, shit, my bad." 
but a lot of people are completely incapable of doing that. Mm. And you see that in this bipartisan thing where they can't just be like, yeah, that's my candidate, but that's, there's some nuance that person's a douche. They can't, they just defend it to the, to the death. But it's hard to admit that everything you've gotten in life has been on the backs of other people in this country. Yes. The argument that like, I worked for everything I have. I don't have white privilege. It wasn't just given to me is like, okay, no one's taking that away from you, but you weren't born at a deficit. Like yes. it is. It, I, I grew up poor. It's just like you can, white people have challenges. Like the, like the people that feel defensive and say, Hey, my life was hard and I worked really hard. You did, you did. And it's great. All we're saying is that on, on top of that, like you didn't also have to overcome the color of your skin and people projecting fears based on that because you were the norm. That's it. Right. All your other trials and challenges are true and valid. We're just saying that other groups of people have extra ones. Like if I can go back on this kick about different reality things, many studies have been done and we perceive black people as more threatening. In the same situations that if we saw a white person, like if we saw white kids at a pool, they're just little shitheads. But exactly. black kids at a pool are more threatening. I've done a lot of reading on this. I, I, I think it's a very important topic because I think we are all racist. But anyway, I was going to say the theories that I like, the media influences you. You see, if you only see black people in threatening roles on TV or largely or mostly in those roles, then you associate when you when you then do finally see a black person, because most white people in America are not in daily contact with minorities, you know, when you do see one, you associate them as more threatening. We see them as older. I mean, they 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 shot a twelve year old boy, Tamir Rice, and they said that they thought he was like sixteen or something like that. He doesn't look sixteen, but a, it happens a lot with like like you know Michael Brown was just a teenager but they were like he's huge he's big though he's big like white kids can be tall and and large as well right but, and white kids can walk through neighborhoods with hoodies on yep. and uh, it's it doesn't get seen the same way but you are literally perceiving this different reality I believe I am racist. I don't think it is helpful to just say, oh, I don't see color or I or just to there's a lot of progressives. And, you know, Portland's a great example of right. a town that pretends to care so much about racism and they don't ever address their own biases because that's difficult. But like I, I read this, was it a Stanford study? And you can like take the test yourself. And I did online and it like will give you like numbers factually how racist you are <laughs> like uh it's about like looking at pictures of people and and then like associating words and stuff and how quickly you can pick the word out and whatever and i did it and i found out as much as i like to believe that i view everyone the same my brain really didn't my there was a huge difference between how my brain categorized pictures of white people versus pictures of black people and i think it's good to take note of those things I do take note that I am more nervous when I like meet a black stranger than versus a white stranger. Like I'm more nervous that they're like not going to like me, that they're going to think I'm dumb or that they're going to be mean to me. Uh, like I have the, those kind of thoughts and it is better to address them and say that and acknowledge it and work at it than it is to just, you know, 
share whatever Facebook post and and be like, yeah, uh, you know, racism is bad. There's a lot of liberal Democrats that have racial biases just because how you were raised, the faces you saw when you grew up. Yeah, we were programmed by the same movies and the same TV and the same, you know, we, we had all that same programming. And also there is a lot of segregation in our communities. And there are tons of, oh, what it was a documentary or something watched about the way that they make the school districts. So they're still pushing white people, you know, they're still separating the races with the, with the school districts. And all of this very subtle systemic racism also affects us. But absolutely, I think the entire, like to deny that there is no programming in us we have all that same from childhood being taught that we are what is right and we are the baseline. And I think that's a lot of where people were freaking out and didn't even know why they were freaking out that they had a black president. Um, yeah. And when they see the freaking out over kneeling at football games mm-hmm. on the back of a year of brutal videos of children getting shot by cops mm-hmm. I'm not a football fan but to me I was like how can you even people I respect I had this argument over and over and over again where was your fucking outrage when children were getting shot in the back by cops there's a video of that the video of the guy in the car who gets killed in front of his fucking kid and the ki- that's uh yeah is heart-wrenching and you're offended by kneeling at a football game and the nicest protests i thought i thought there's a very nice protest you know, he started by just sitting on the bench he started yeah, he sit, and he and and then he got a lot of media attention for it like he didn't it was a few games in before it became a big deal and people were upset and some people offered constructive criticism and they said Hey, you know, we might like this protest better if you knelt instead, like kneeling shows some respect for the flag, but like you're clearly different, like you're, you're making a statement still, but you're not just like behind the sidelines on the bench. You're like at least out there for the anthem, but you're kneeling and Colin Kaepernick, great guy said, yeah, that's better. You're right. I should do that. And then he did that and people acted like he was shitting on the flag pissing on it kneeling is respectful you dumbass hillbilly yeah the connecting that to veterans i have my own opinions on but this is a great example of the two different realities because then they're like well if you don't like this country you should be grateful for this country whatever and i'm like yeah you should be grateful for this country but you live in a different reality than they live in. You don't have to worry about your kids leaving the house in a sweatshirt because they might get shot. Yeah. Uh, you don't have, you don't live in the same world. So he's not disrespecting some great country. He's making a statement. They were getting killed. Yeah. A lot. Back to back to fucking back to fucking back to back. And, and it was will, like... Things will not change on their own. The like, conversation had to happen. And apparently the conversation had to be brought to your football game because that's the only way you were going to pay attention. Yeah. And then they still just pivoted and made... It just I feel like they wanted they, you know, the powers that be or, you know, 
just want to make the conversation about anything but the reform that needs to happen with local police departments. And like, we need to rein it way back in and there needs to be way more oversight and cops need to get punished when they murder an innocent person. And rather than talk about that, we just switched it to the troops. Hey, don't, you know. Yeah, that's just, fake you know, patriotism. Make fucking me blue, off li- so bad. blue lives matter flags and, and stuff uh, and make it all just about them. It's just the... The NFL gets paid by the Department of Defense. The Pentagon pays the NFL to have national anthems. Okay? They, when, when a soldier comes home at a football game and they have like a big surprise thing, they, that is a paid advertisement by the military. The NFL gets compensated for that screen time. They need us to be nationalistic so that their industry can continue to exist and that we can continue to be good, well-behaved citizens. And then they use these poor, for the most part, people that go to Afghanistan and Iraq are not rich. And they use those people as pawns and they do not actually give a shit about them because they don't get any health care when they get home. Like the fact that you can you could go serve your country for eight years and do multiple tours in combat zones and then still end up homeless and like begging and suffering from undiagnosed, untreated mental health shit that you got from serving the country uh, baffles me. And but to then feign offense and and clutch your bigoted pearls and act like I can't believe that black man isn't respecting the troops the troops that fought fight for his freedom he's fighting for your bottom line and you made money off of him and you do not care about him but you will use him as a political puppet and hold him up and be like uh but the troops though we have to care about the troops and I just think in general in this world that and we can blame it on social media all, all we want, but we care about appearances. Yeah. It is more important to to seem like you're doing a good thing than actually do a good thing because you don't really get rewarded in the society for doing a good thing, but you can get rewarded for appearing to do good things. It's much right. easier. You can get all the likes and clicks and, and applause and stuff. And so... We have people that don't really care about the troops, but just want to appear like they do. On the other side, like to keep dragging Portland, you have people that it's very important for them to appear like they care about solving racism, but they don't really do anything about it. You know, I think the Mormon church is very concerned with appearances and uh, don't they don't really have the substance. The Mormon church, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but like, that's another place where like when somebody tries to correct something, say, Hey, here's something we can change. The gut reaction is just say, Hey, well, if you don't like it, leave. If you don't like this flag, why are you in this country? Uh, maybe because his ancestors were, uh, brought here in chains is why uh, they're in this country, you know? Uh, but to just be like, I, I love this country and I want it to get better. And then you hear that in your ears as I hate America. Right. And then you're just like, well, then you should just, you should just leave then. 
that's not what he's he wants it to be better he's like america's great it would be cool if police weren't just shooting children in the streets without any repercussions and they're like oh, he's insulted the greatest country on earth the country that made him a millionaire that's another thing too people are supposed to be you're just supposed to eat shit because you have some success and i'm like yeah well can you imagine what it feels like to have some success and know that other people are suffering and that you should be using your platform to help people that are suffering and mm -hmm. what, what a it did what he lost a lot he sacrificed a lot he did just win a settlement which i hope was for so much money um, yeah a collusion lawsuit for those who are not he and eric reed sued the nfl for colluding to blackball him which he absolutely was jessa doesn't like sports at all but she'll let me talk about colin kaepernick all the time I'll exp <laughs> i'm like explaining stuff about in depth about the washington redskins depth charts after alex smith went down i'm like it's it's crazy and i like explain all this stuff just because it is it is nuts that mark sanchez could get another job but colin kaepernick couldn't he is quality QB should be rostered like at the very least as a backup for Tampa Bay like there there is a spot for Colin Kaepernick and they did collude against him and they made it very obvious when they uh, settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money I thought what a great opportunity for the NFL to be on the right side of history but I guess they're just pandering to their fan base which is probably the largely they never do the great. right thing yeah they well also, their owners are all white, and their own. Like, the NFL sucks. is is one of the worst sports to watch because of the owners, and the the owners have way more power than like NBA owners do. The players, and it has a lot to do with the math. Like, there's fewer NBA players than NFL players, and yada yada yada, longevity of careers and whatnot. But also. There are like rules, things in place that could be changed by the NFLPA if uh, they could get, if the NFLPA didn't sell out. Eric Reed got in a lot of trouble because he called out uh, the NFLPA is the Players Association and they nominate or elect players to represent all of the players. And the players that went and met with the owners basically sold out all the other, sold out the, the, sold out Kaepernick, sold out Black Lives Matter because they were all kneeling for a while and then they went in and made it and cut a deal and Eric Reed called out those players and things got really ugly. But Eric Reed's still the only guy that's still kneeling and the Carolina Panthers are a good organization. I'm sorry that I, I'm talking way too much. I want to talk about Kareem Hunt though and the NFL never doing anything right. Kareem Hunt is the guy who uh having an amazing season, got cut, got got fired immediately because of this video of him uh, kicking a woman, kicking a woman, pushing and kicking a woman. He, he, he pushes her. He knocks her down. And there's five, six dudes stopping him, like holding him back, making sure he doesn't do anything else. And then at the very end, she's like squatting down on her feet. You remember like in high school, middle school, whenever you were a brat, like if someone was like kneeling down at their locker, you could go like swipe their feet out from under them right. and like kind of make them fall. He tries to do that. He like doesn't even like he like he like kicks her from so far away, like reaches his foot out to like kick her ankles. He's not kicking her in the face. He's not doing a roundhouse kick. She's not laying on the ground in the fetal position being stomped on. She watch. I challenge anyone to watch that video and tell me you think she's a cool person. She's definitely not. She was a an entitled, drunk, awful person who wasn't getting her way and decided to throw out racial slurs 
because she can, because she uh, she knows how she can hurt these people. She's not getting in her way. She's trying to make shit for their like. She's like trying to get in their hotel room and stuff, and like they're there with their girlfriends or whatever she thought was going to happen that night. She's screaming about it and says some stuff to his girlfriend, like tries to hit his girlfriend, and then also throws out the n word at these guys. And he, he gets mad. He gets mad and you know pushes her and kicks her ankles. This is not Ray Rice punching his fiance out cold in an elevator. Right. Uh, it's not the same thing. And the NFL cannot get a goddamn thing right. When they should act and they should suspend players like Ray Rice or Greg Hardy, they do nothing. They did nothing. Greg Hardy, p- police were called six different times. By his by his girlfriend or, or baby mom or, or wife or something like six different times he faced domestic abuse charges or allegations and he kept playing football because the NFL does not care what you do. The NFL cares uh, about what video like, right. like shows you doing. They tried to bury the Ray Rice video. They. They didn't really bury this Kareem Hunt thing, but they they knew about it and didn't take any action until TMZ unearthed the video and got it in public. You know, I don't know if they're like we we have to overreact now because we have to seem like we care about women. And again, they don't care about women. They no. just need to seem like they do, right? Because you care about women, like domestic abuse, like that's that like Greg Hardy. Beating his his girlfriend repeatedly, that's a fucking problem. If you care about women, you would not let that guy play anymore. But he kept playing for different teams. I believe Kareem Hunt got swift action because he was pushing a white woman. Ray Rice knocked out his fiance, and when people saw the video, like they were shocked. But I felt the same level of outrage about an awful drunk white girl getting pushed down to the ground. That's, that's, I don't, it's never a good idea when you're like, listen, I don't advocate hit it. You should never hit a woman. But, uh, I definitely am not a fan of battering women, but if I don't think that what I saw in that video is the same thing, getting pushed to the ground is not that big of a deal. And I think that like you could have a talk with Kareem and be like, Hey man, you should be nicer and like maybe take a class and like don't hit women or blah, blah, blah. But he has no other history of this. He has no other uh, problems I read that on his record. She hit his girlfriend. She hit his girlfriend. That's that, what I read. God uh, damn it. I should be uh, speak as a woman. I watched this video and almost tweeted about it. I avoid everything. Uh, yeah, we're getting could, so controversial uh, on uh, Molly right now. So I avoid this subject because do. I feel we're cowards. I feel like it's not our conversation to have. Yeah. So I can't I, wait to write the description of this episode. Is uh, Aaron and Jessa solve racism? I have always kept. I feel like the thing I can do is I can have these conversations with white people. I can have the conversations about why it's important that they're kneeling at football games and why it's important that you should care and why it's important to start putting yourself in other people's shoes. And I feel like I can explain white privilege in a way that makes people less defensive if they're capable of opening their minds. You're good at it. I just didn't feel like... I don't know, a lot of like stuff seems performative to me. And maybe that's not 
true because I did a podcast. I did a Kev on Stage podcast recently. I was just about to plug that. Recently. It's called, there's a new series that Kev on Stage and our friend Big J Hollingsworth are doing called Ask A. And every uh, episode is like a person that's got a unique life that you can ask them anything. So Jess and I both did it. Ask yeah. a meth head, ask a Mormon. And uh, Jess uh, made hers all about race. <laughs> My second hour was about race. One second of the questions, hour? Yeah, I did two hours. Dang. They had sent in questions. The questions were great. and Mine sucked. Talk about the underwear. I The, the cliche Mormon stuff. But the, the meth questions were really good. I didn't think they were going to be that... Interesting, but they did were they really funny. Did they ask you for the formula into. for meth pee? They're like, uh. They didn't. <laughs> I did notice in the YouTube comments, they were like, is this the meth pee lady? <laughs> but one of the questions was, it easier being white? And so I was like, yeah. I mean, as a criminal, easier. as a drug addict, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Everything was easier being. Or yeah, uh, just as a person, as white. an American, yes, it is. But then towards the end, he asked, I have a few addiction soapbox topics a few things about addiction that get me really fired up number one is the thing about people think it's funny to say shoot heroin dealers now trump is talking about he's going to change addiction by killing drug dealers like he doesn't understand like, how yeah, we'll drug dealing works they just sprout back up but also most people dealing drugs are drug addicts and also go after the pharmaceutical companies because that's where the opiate you want to shoot drug dealers yeah they're at cvs from. But then the other two things are... God, we're so woke. <laughs> the I guess that's the reason I don't like to talk about it, is I don't want to... Yeah. Uh, the prison system and the way that the crack epidemic was portrayed versus... I think that's a great white privilege example right there, is that when it was crack, it was like lock them all up, them stealing and their families falling apart and everything else was all like that's because you're criminals and now it's a it's a public health epidemic because it's suburban white kids addicted mm -hmm. to heroin now all of a sudden it's and we have like years have passed Just how they made different laws for crack versus cocaine right the mandatory minimums for a teeny tiny bit of crack you're you're going away for this, I don't remember what the the years were, but you, the judge, it was taken out of a judge's hands. Yeah. There was no more nuance. He could not apply different things for different people. You had to be put away for a certain number of years for this teeny tiny bit of crack. But you could have uh, like a Tony Montana level of cocaine, which is the same drug, yep. just used by more affluent people, mm -hmm. richer people, which are whiter people, and you, you know, you'd get the same sentence. They build crack as this whole different kind of drug. And they there was this panic with Reagan and Nancy on TV, and they're showing people in Chicago high, strung out, and it's just like this this they pumped fear into it. And it's just What's that documentary on Netflix? It's not called Three Fifths, is it? There's some. There's some. There's a documentary on Netflix about how the prison system. Thirteenth. Uh, the thirteenth. I need to watch it because he uh, people bring it up when I talk about my understanding of the prison system comes from. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's a great it's who, a great documentary for people that don't already have your perspective. Like right. it's eye opening, and you just you're like, oh, I had no idea. For you, you're going to be like, oh, I knew all of this stuff already. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's still it's a good it's a good watch. If you if you guys are listening and want to learn more about it, that's a good place to start. There's another documentary that my sociology professor would make the kids watch. 
that I cannot think of right now, but it boiled my blood to like f- to find out. And it and it ends with a little a little nod to the white people because they talked about your drug, meth. That it was, basically it's not just race. That it's it's about money. You know, it's about yeah. people that live below the poverty line that are getting chewed up by this system and and are like we're just throwing bodies into uh this system and just churning them up and like making money off of it and having our society live off of uh, poor slaves yeah Uh, but uh now with meth attacking poor white people in the last couple decades we have seen a rise of white incarcerations there are more white people going to jail for drug offenses because meth was uh, attacking their communities. Yeah, and meth is primarily a white drug. My best friends were black on... Um, when you were on meth? When I was on meth. And it was kind of hard for me to answer the... the Like, everything is easier when you're white. But when they walk into an environment of tweakers, like, we get... You know, we got beat up. We got thrown around. I had a cracked rib one time and got, they found out, I made the mistake of telling them that I had a cracked rib and they purposefully the threw me did. around after that. Yeah. That's what they did to Freddie Gray. Like they're, they're trying, they're just, I don't understand that. I don't, I'm a nice guy and I don't like mean people and I just can't understand all these mean people that become police officers or maybe they become mean afterwards, whatever, but like that you could just want to hurt somebody and just use your power to hurt them and like you find out that a little girl you you are you're not teeny tiny but you're much smaller than me and most men and and to find out that like oh she's got a cracked rib but i hate her so much because she steals mail from people or something Uh, she deserves this so now the law i'm the law and the i can i can provide some kind of justice for my community if i just keep hurting this girl's broken rib i think that people you if you don't have compassion for someone it's usually because you just have no experience with it and you don't you don't really know what it's like to be a drug addict and you don't know what it's like living an actual hood because you just have thought that nampa was was ghetto your whole like that's that's the epitome of ghetto. like you don't really know what it's like so it's so easy to judge those people on tv and be like well they should have been more respectful to the police officer or they should just not do drugs to go full circle back to movies, I think it's why it's so important. As someone who loves movies and has learned so much from them, I love seeing movies about people that look different from me, that have a different life than me, because how else would I experience it? I'm not, yeah. I'm never going to experience what it's like to like be precious or whatever, but like I can watch that movie and my eyes are opened and I go, oh my God, I didn't know life was like that. And I want to see more of these stories being told, different people's stories. We need more diversity in Hollywood. It's not just a a catchphrase. It's not just a liberal agenda. But like, I think that's how the world will get better is if we force, if we force Hollywood studios (coughs) by pressuring them with social media campaigns or whatever, if we put pressure on them to hire women as directors and let them direct big movies. Then we get shit like Russian Doll where you have a full cast of three-dimensional female characters that and that's healthy 
for both boys and girls to watch. Right. It is good for our children, our white children, to see movies about black people. My son loves Black Panther. He's got a Black Panther costume, loves it. And he doesn't give a shit about race. He's six. He doesn't know. And that's great. And I, I, I love, I don't know how long that will last. I don't know when the innocence fades. But it, for right now, that's great. But like, he's going to grow up thinking about black people as more normal than I did because he's going to see more of them represented in media. And that's a good fucking thing. I'm sorry the Dark Knight didn't get nominated for Best Picture. It really should have been. Don't hate Black Panther because your favorite Batman movie didn't get the nomination it deserved, which it did. I'll say a second time. But it's good thing that I'm, Black Panther is look, out there. In the grand scheme of things, football games are arbitrary. Like, it, they don't Like, it doesn't matter. The... The Academy Awards, it doesn't matter. And here's an opportunity for these things to matter. Here's an opportunity yeah. for these things to resonate on a deeper frequency. The whole throwing around the liberal agenda is like, yeah, it's an agenda. Yeah, it's an agenda to make people that we share this country that we stole with feel like they're part of this fucking country. Mm -hmm. And... I remember seeing videos and stories about how much it meant to people to take their kids to see a superhero movie. These kids who have been fans of superhero movies, but they get to see a superhero that looks like them. Like how fucking awesome is that? And how incapable are we of putting ourselves in someone else's shoes and feeling compassion and getting excited for someone else it's sad. Yeah, and processing those feelings. If you're having these feelings, it taking away from you or bitting in your face, you're feeling defensive is what it sounds like to me. You know, I'm not even addressing the straight up MAGA fucking idiots like they're never going to wake up. But there are people I love and care about that I've had to have these conversations with. And I'm like, those feelings that you're feeling are defensiveness mm -hmm. and if you just let your guard down you don't have to be in the kkk to be capable of racism yeah. you don't have to be a billionaire to have benefited from white privilege but it exists and just acknowledging it is a huge step and i think the gaslighting that we've done to people of color and telling them that it doesn't exist and telling them that we're colorblind I had several friends in the, in the drug world, you know, because prison's a whole different thing. Like you got in prison, it's you have to go with your color for the most part. Like uh, it's just the way it is. And so there was... I, had a, I personally have a dream that one day my inmate children can form a gang with whoever they like. Uh, whoever uh, my inmate children will not join gangs based on the color of their skin but on the content of their rap sheet okay that is uh my dream but uh, my yes. theory is that you don't they I don't, don't have, have to wear the same prison clothes. so i will your theory is because they have to they can't wear different colors yeah they're all wearing the same color so maybe it's just easier let's all just be part of up. the orange gang okay let's all just be or tangerines today just pink Pink, they wash their boxers. Oh my god! Yeah, that's the dumbest shit. Like that, that sheriff in Arizona who's like, I make them. I, I get elected because I make the inmates wear pink. Like, 
cool. What a Fuck that what dude a bunch too. of like old yeah, just the dumbest. Like that'll that'll show them. It's just it's so bizarre to me. Well, that's the end of the episode for today. I hope that it wasn't as cringy as we were afraid it was going to be. Editing it at parts, I thought, this is great. This isn't bad. And other parts, I thought, this is bad. This is bad. What the hell are you talking about, man? But here you go. Ethan, how did you like the episode? Well, it was pretty great. I liked it a lot. What was your favorite part? I don't know. He didn't actually listen to it. He's lying to you. He was actually just watching an episode of Voltron. How was that episode? Was it good? Yeah, it was really good. In one of the episodes, I love those booster wings. Those were so cool. Absolutely. Very, very cool. The booster rings, guys. You got to check it out. I couldn't get Jessa for the intro, so I got Ethan for the outro. You know, what's up, dude? Thanks for thanks for being my buddy. All right. Now go make yourself some dinner. I am I'm talking to strangers. Okay, kid. Anyway, guys. Bye. Anyways, that was the awakening. Let us know what you think. Even if you did hate it, it'll at least confirm our own suspicions. So sound off in the comments with what you guys thought, and hopefully we can get a good discussion out of it. And if that wasn't enough white people solving racism all by themselves for you, Tomorrow on our Patreon, there's going to be another hour of this bullshit. (laughs) And if that's still not enough, I don't know what to do for you, man. You could watch the Green Book or something. That's probably a red box, you know. And then please come see me and Jessa July 18th through 21st, Boise, Idaho at Liquid Laughs. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're excited to get together again and record more podcasts and stuff. If there are things that you want us to talk about, episodes that you need us to do, let us know that. Send us a message. Send, leave us a comment, whatever you want. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Reddit. Brad, all that bullshit. Listen, it's 9 p.m. I need to put this kid to bed. I got to go, but I hope that this was okay. <laughs> and I hope you guys have a good day, man. Talk to you later. Bye. If you put a Mormon and a Meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Mormon and the Meth head. Mormon and the Meth head. Mormon and the Meth Star Bands Avenue. A podcast network.